This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where they have a lot of, they always have new things coming in to Zupan's. It's really fun to check that out. And often in their emails from their news feed, you can see that. And this week, we're learning that uh, Zupan's now has hot mama salsa and tortilla chips. So they're handcrafted in Portland by Nikki Guerrero. And uh, that's something you want to check out. Another one that I think would be fantastic. You know, we all love our pizza. Mm -hmm. You can now get Renata frozen pizzas uh, at Zupan's. Yeah, I saw this. It was, it's interesting. Obviously, a lot of people had to, and, and I'm going to use that term, Chris, they had to pivot during the uh, during the COVID pandemic. And that's what uh, Renata did. They they said, hey, we can make our pizzas available at your local Zupans. And that's very nice to be able to just pick that up while you're grocery shopping instead of making a special trip. Not that that's a bad thing, but they have they have their margarita, Bianca Verde and Quattro Fomaggi. Oh, man, look at you. I should also point this out, Chris, because we are heading into the Easter holiday. There's probably still time, barely enough time for you to maybe get an order in for your Easter dinner, your feast, your brunch, or just swing by your local Zupans this weekend. And uh, they've got a great selection of meals ready to go. They just take them home and heat them. And I will always, always, always recommend their mashed potatoes from their uh, their deli area. Have you had the Zupan's mashed potatoes, Chris? I believe I had them once when I ordered the prime rib dinner for Christmas. Oh, my goodness. It's like heaven on earth it, it, with lots of butter. And it's so, so good. So don't don't go through this holiday weekend without letting Zupan's help you out. Yeah, it's really helpful on a holiday. You, you can make your own main course if you like with ingredients from Zupans, but it's always nice to balance that out with some easy, delicious side dishes uh, from Zupans as well. Mm -hmm. Three locations to serve you. You've got West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, and always wear, Chris. Zupans.com. Right, here it is. It's time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. Well, hi, Court Johnson. How are you doing this April Fool's Day? Yeah, two fools uh, on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the perfect thing. So uh, it's April. I love this time of year. It's, you know, there's sun out. It's starting to be a little warmer. And of course, it's opening day for baseball for those people interested in that sort of thing. I did see that. However, Chris, I don't know if you saw the news specific to the Mets. That's that's your team, right? Yeah, I, I believe today's uh, uh, game has actually been postponed. No. Well, you know, in these COVID times, you can always expect COVID to show up. Oh, it was the Washington Nationals, right? They had an outbreak. Yep. Wow. Well, that bums me out because I, was, I was looking forward. I love my baseball at 4 o'clock on the West Coast for the 7 o'clock East Coast yeah. games. But I'll get my fill of it. And you know what? It's a beautiful day, so uh, we'll find other things to do. Sure. And, I, and, the, and they're doing a full, full slate of games this year. So I, when it comes to the uh, Major League Baseball, I don't think you're going to run out of baseball ever. No, no, no. I'm, I'm fine with it. And I enjoy it kind of passively. I don't sit there and watch it 
with a bowl of popcorn. Well, I do do that, but I don't sit there and watch it uh, with bated breath. It's kind of on in the background. Sure. And my favorite part of the games is listening to Keith Hernandez and Gary Cohen, the Mets broadcasters, uh, go back and forth. Um, when the game is on ESPN, which it was going to be today, it's just not – I love the Mets, but it's not as much of an interest to me to listen to them analyze the hell out of it, up and down, left and right. Um, I, I rather enjoy the the kind of passive conversation that occurs yeah. uh, between broadcasters, not necessarily about which way the ball spins, but uh, some fun stories from back in the day. So that's one of the things I love about baseball. But at any rate, I love uh, the Portland food scene as well. And this is a special episode. We I ran into... My friend uh, Gabe Rosen, formerly of Portland Icons, um, Biwa and Nora Neko, and then Giraffe, which he opened his last restaurant, and has now been working at Zupans in various departments, all three stores, for the last year since the pandemic. And so, um, while of course we need to disclaim the fact that Zupans is our sponsor, that's not at all why we I thought this would be a fun episode to listening to someone who ran restaurants in Portland before the pandemic and now moved over and is happy working at a grocery store where he's not the boss and uh, we talked to him about the ins and outs of restaurants versus grocery stores and and some of his thoughts about what has happened over the past year um, in the Portland food world um, regarding the pandemic, how things are going to be served in the future, because he certainly had a different taste of that in grocery stores and he's learned something. But also, I think I surprised him with a question about um, cultural appropriation. Um, and while it's not directly related to what happened last summer in Portland when things got uh, not only strange on the streets, but on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I think it was a valid thing to talk about with Gabe in this day and age. And I think he he responds to it quite uh, eloquently. So um, good to talk to him about that. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to this, especially I, I think a lot of people could relate in the fact. I mean, anytime you're you know in a job and you either supervise people or you're the boss, you own the own the place. Um, there's just just certain level of responsibility that you carry on your shoulders, whether you realize it or not. So for him to move away from owning restaurants over the past year and not have to worry about that, I think it, it can be life changing. Yeah, you can hear it when I ask him about his thoughts about restaurants. He realizes that he hasn't had to think about them very yeah. much. He cared about his friends and some other folks. But in the last year, he had the relief of not having to think about it. So um, and of course, it w I would have been remiss if I didn't ask him if he ever wanted to do that again. And uh, we'll leave that as a little bit of a teaser for Ooh. people to listen to what I think was one of my favorite episodes. I love when I get a chance to talk to someone I know and the conversation is lively. My relationship with Gabe goes back to um, 2011 when I started Portland Food Adventures. And he, as as I hope more people know, but many know Portland Food Adventures events, which we hope to get back again soon to doing, um, 
feature chefs talking about where they like to go and what their favorite places are. And way back when, in the days of Lincoln with Jen Lewis, she recommended Biwa. And at that dinner, Gabe came in and gave a talk about Japanese food, izakayas, and um, what he likes to do as well. It was really fun. And we don't always have, we often have some of the chefs recommended chef owners coming in and talking, but that was the first time I think we did that way back in 2011. And I remember him giving a nice casual talk and uh, learning that He's a really good guy. And also, we have another episode with him. Uh, Chris, that would be episode 198 from uh, April of 2019, way back then. Yeah, that was. So I think you have to multiply every year by two. That was before the pandemic. So while it was physically about two years ago, exactly, let's call it four, because it was another lifetime ago. Yep. Uh, But this was now uh, recorded uh, March... 30th 2021 and uh i believe it's a very enjoyable episode and by the way court what do we recommend everybody does oh you definitely need to uh subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and then you know if you feel like it give us a uh, a like or a rating whether wherever you listen to the podcast i think that's a very passive way to say it whether the, sure. anybody likes it or not they should probably oh, sure. give us a like or a rating because yeah. it helps us. And if you like this podcast, it's the least you could do. We're not asking you to send in money. Nope. So, uh, so all you got to do is like and subscribe and tell other friends about it. Share. It's always good to share an episode on your uh, on your Facebook, your Twitter, or even your Instagram. Even though that's a little harder to share sure. things there. Um, but wherever you happen to be. Share this podcast with Gabe Rosen, uh, now of Zupans. Right at the Fork is supported by Zupans Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupans Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupans.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon, Micah Camden, in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Urdaneta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at PortlandFoodAdventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. So how often do you have to work at 3 a.m.? So, you know, I work at all the stores and this month I'm working three days a week at the Burnside store, um, training the, the, the BA person, the person who does uh, value added stuff in the meat and seafood department mm-hmm. training with them. And I mean, uh, ultimately, um, I mean, my, ultimately my job there is I'm kind of coordinating VA with all of the different 
stores and doing uh, recipe development, uh, kind of culinary and product development for them in that area. So short version, uh, three days a week this month at Burnside at 3 a.m. I have to do this uh, 10 more times. Mm-hmm. Usually, okay. I, usually I go into five, which is fine. <laughs> so ten more, and then, two hours. And then, what about the other days? What, what time do you go in? And well, I go in at five. That's still early, but you're done by two or before two, one. If I go in at five, I get off at one thirty. Um, yeah, it's it's not bad, and it's it's a mixed thing. Three is a little, you know, like having to wake up at two to go to work at three is a little extreme. It is exciting getting off work at 11.30. The day goes by. The getting up is painful. Right. Five's the sweet spot. Yeah, so at what when you start working at three, at what point are you thinking, all right, I'm going to get off at 11.30. This wasn't bad. Uh, as soon as... It takes me about the first hour to get awake. Um, I drink a ton of coffee. Uh, once I start working, the day goes by quite quickly. And honestly, like going into three, I spend even less of the day in the store when there's no customers and just doing production. First six hours go by fast. The last two hours always go by kind of slow. But yeah, no, totally. It's, it, it comes up quick. You just look at the clock and it's like, well, sh you know, shit, it's going to be 1130 here pretty soon. <laughs> so I, I like that part. I do. I just, from a, like holistically, from a health and lifestyle standpoint, I think three is too early. Right. Yeah. But it's not every day. And well, let me ask you how it compares to the days when you owned a few restaurants. Oh. No, I mean, I, um, I love my job. It's great. I mean, it's, it's easy. Um, it's fun. I cook all day. I didn't. You know, I didn't cook all day at the restaurants for mm -hmm. almost, you know, for a long time. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no outside of work stress. That's wonderful. Uh, I sleep great. Like, I sleep great. <laughs> so you sleep better not owning a restaurant or restaurants. I got to I gotta have to remember to say that. Yeah, no, this last year has been, um, I mean... I know you're not supposed to say this, but the COVID pandemic has been wonderful for me. I'm sure that it saved me from having a heart attack in my 40s. Um, I, you know, it was, it was time for me to close Noroneco anyway. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing it. I was fighting tooth and nail to keep it going. And having my hand forced was a really, um, I'm extremely grateful for that. And I mean, I'm, and also like, I, I really like my new job. I work with great people. I've always liked the grocery store. I go to the grocery store for fun anyway. I go to the grocery store every day. Now it's my job. You know, I'm, I've been first at the McAdam store. I got, you know, taken in by this like really nice family and cohort of coworkers, which felt really good. I really needed it. And it's been cool the last month and a half it's been now getting to work in all of the stores. Like I was a little scared. The first time I, I spent the last month working at the Lake Grove store and it's been a real source of 
just stability and comfort for me this last year working at the McAdam store. And the first, I, I was definitely nervous the first day driving in to like meet a whole bunch of new coworkers a month and a half ago when I would, uh, worked first at Lake Grove. Um, you know, are they going to like me? Blah, blah, blah. Is it gonna be, I, I had just, I, it really made me realize like how much uh, comfort I've gotten out of just getting to go into this job and do it and be around the people that I'm around. Everybody's really nice. Everybody at the, all the other stores have been super welcoming, really great. Like, I don't know. It's been really, it's been a very sweet experience for me. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything from the last year. Well, that that's great to hear because, you know, one of the things I think I told you when we uh, when we met at the store is it's been a little challenging to find people who say the pandemic has been good for me, or, and I'm not I'm not putting those words in your mouth. We just heard what you said, but it, it's been really hard to find positive stories. And so when you know Norinetco closed, that's not a positive, you know. For you, you're in retrospect, it you're identifying it as a positive. Oh, but at the time, you know, we were all sad about that because I love that place. And um, I think I went there more than I'd been to any of you, than I'd ever been to Biwa. Um, so anyway, it's just nice to hear someone land in a good spot and things change. So you know, you're welcome to um, to crow about it all you want. I mean, I, I believe me, over the last year, um, you know, because Biwa, Norineko, and Giraffe, I, I mean, I loved all of the businesses dearly, and um, it's it's definitely given me a great opportunity to, well, that makes sense. I've reflected a lot on, like, the work that we all did, the places and stuff. I, I love them. They're wonderful. And it's been, you know, for myself, just looking back, at, now that it's not an active and ongoing concern, I've gotten to really be able to appreciate how cool some of the work we all did was, you know? Um, Is it something you think you might want to do again? I don't know. I mean, I don't think about it that that much i get asked about it sometimes um because there's certainly opportunities i mean even in the kind of dumb nuts and bolts kind of way like i'm sure there's going to be some, some sweet real estate opportunities if a person wanted to own a restaurant mm -hmm. uh, and you know uh, about uh, recently within the last week um at the corner in portland of like 26th and division Kitty Corner from Little Tea Bakery. Um, I go to Little Tea once a week. It's probably my favorite bakery. And um, there's a plaid pantry, and next door to it is a little tiny restaurant spot. And it's a spot that I've looked at occasionally over the years. I've always really liked that immediate area. Uh, and even like when we were looking to open up Biwa, which is before all of that stuff on Division opened up, um, gave some consideration to taking this little restaurant space. And it's too small. Like, you could, I look at this now and I think, like, there's no possible way you could ever make enough money to pay the rent um, in a little space like this. But right now, it's a really cute little Japanese restaurant convenience store. I think it's called Kashiwagi. Uh, and I went a couple nights ago 
uh, get some takeout food. I haven't gone to restaurants that much, and I haven't gotten that much takeout food. Takeout food's terrible. Um, and I kind of I spent a decent amount of time hanging out in their parking lot, smoking cigarettes and pacing around, and just daydreaming about how like like if money was no object, I would run a I'd run a restaurant out of that space um, in a minute, and I'd work there full time. Uh, and it would be run as a for-profit endeavor. And yeah, that sounds great. I love running the restaurants. You know, I, I love running the restaurants. Trying to make money running the restaurants um, it was just really challenging. You know, it really like, I don't know, it, it took a lot out of me. But I mean, the, the restaurants themselves, like, it's such a natural space for me. So I can't say that I will never do it. But I don't know that right now I have much of an appetite for entrepreneurship. It's been really wonderful uh, working for someone else and being part of, you know, a 40-year-old business with systems and people in place. Like, I work, I work with so many people who've been doing their job for over a decade, sometimes two decades, um, that... I mean, they make gripe and stuff, but obviously like it well enough that they've stuck it out. Like, it's, it's really comforting. It's warming. Uh, but I don't have any kind of strong entrepreneurial urges for the near future. I'm actually really quite happy doing what I'm doing. Yeah, and you're, do you think, uh, it may be hard for you to see now because you've only been there a year, but do you think you're learning some things that may, you know, if you want to go back in the business and own restaurants, you're learning some things now that may help you down the road? Yeah, of course. I mean, the last thing that I was working with, Giraffe, um, I didn't realize how steep a learning curve there's. I, I'm, I suffer from um, what I, I feel like a couple of months on, on the, I listen to a lot of radio podcasts. And it seems like you couldn't avoid the, um, the term optimism bias a few months ago. Um, I suffer from this tremendously. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'll be the person who can open a restaurant and it will work out. Uh, I'm not, I can work in a grocery store and I'm not going to get COVID. This kind of thinking is, is very natural to me. Um, and I didn't realize with giraffe how that it wasn't like a direct correlation from running a small quirky restaurant to doing a, a catering company and convenience store cafe with a big grocery component. So yeah, I'm learning a ton. Um, I'm, I'm pretty interested in, um, so, you know, over the years I've spent a lot of time in Japan, Japan has amazing convenience foods. Uh, you can go, you don't have to go very far to get really high quality, ready to eat food, packaged food, this kind of thing. Um, and I think that that's probably a big part of the future of how we're going to get food that we're not cooking for ourselves. Like, I think it's a, it's something that hasn't been nearly explored enough. Well, it has been in the last year by default. Yeah, no, no, no. It's funny. As I say that you're right. Um, and I probably have, I probably haven't explored it enough in the last year as I should just from a personal interest standpoint, because I find usually the experience of getting takeout food from restaurants is just super disappointing, you know? Well, I think, and I've said this too many times because I'm tired of hearing myself say it, but I think the experience of just working out of a box 
is not, is not conducive to a great dining experience. Sure. Yeah. Opening up a box that's probably already been opened on the way home, right? It's already open. and yeah. I, I, No, here's the whole thing. I mean, so think about it, though. There's foods that, like, are as good or better if you get them as takeout, right? Pizza is the right. example. Pizza out of a box? You don't think twice about the fact that you're just like, oh, man, pizza out of a box. I wish it was on a plate. That's a different kind of box. It doesn't. It's not, it's it's been perfected. Exactly, it's been designed. Right. Um, so I mean, in Japan, all of this convenience food. Um, I mean, it's been designed to be cons- You know, it's it's purpose built. Um, and a lot of work's gone into that. You know, like you can make great convenience foods, but you just have to think differently. And we've only had a year of experience of this. Mm-hmm. Chinese food works great out of the box, etc. So, and Zupans does a ton of grab and go food. And um, because they're my employer, I can only, uh, what I will say. <laughs> they're also our sponsor too. So, I know. you know. No, I, and they do a really great job. And I've just watching how the food service department operates. Um, I've learned a ton. You know, I had to do giraffe. I put a lot of research into packaging and a lot of thought into um, how do you make packaged food that's beautiful and exciting where like you're excited to be opening the box as opposed to feeling diminished by the fact that you're <laughs> eating out of a box. Uh, and it's completely possible, but you know, it has to be designed. Yeah. And that takes, I would imagine that there's uh, there's some, Benefits in numbers, and as more people start needing it, the, the firms are going to start working on that kind of packaging, and we're going to see more of it. So why don't you talk a little bit um, about what it is when you talk about uh, what you're doing at Zupans and what your role is there? Because I've seen you, you know, I just saw you the other day, you were packaging up speaking of packaging, my swordfish and a little bit of meat for me. And so that you're you're working in the the meat and seafood departments, I know, but you're also you've got a larger role there. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, on a day to day basis, I open up the meat counter. Um, I don't know, I work five days a week, forty hours, and I show up, and I, um, you know, a small team of people every morning, much earlier than you would possibly imagine, um, set up the set up the cases. So it's pretty nuts and bolts. Uh, if I'm the first person there, I fill a, you know, a sink full of hot water, dishes going, and yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's nuts and bolts, day-to-day work. Uh, so what I typically do is, um, it's been also interesting work, as much time as I've spent in grocery stores, and as much as I just kind of assumed that grocery stores and restaurants, eh, they're not that different, it's all food, totally different. Grocery store biz, like it has its own whole terminology and vocabulary. And um, so I, to be earlier question, I'm learning stuff constantly. So I work with uh, the value added side of meat. So if it's meat, but anything has been done to it, if it's meat, but it has an ingredient that isn't meat, uh, like, so for example, sausages or skewered kebabs or I don't know, stuffed roast or anything like that. I do all of that. Um, so I go in, I set the case up, 
make the things, put them in the case. And then at some point in the day, the store opens and I help customers, you know? Uh, I mean, that's the, that's the day-to-day role that I do. And it's what I started doing with them. Um, in the last couple months, I've been working on, um, it's funny, I don't have a job title and I've been trying to suss one out. I am something like, I do culinary development for the meat and seafood department. And I kind of, I'm working on trying to coordinate their activities with the deli. Um, so that the, the value added products are, so one of the things that's been interesting about pandemic at the grocery store, it's been good for the grocery store because people have to shop and they have to cook at home. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed is getting to watch people who are now forced to cook at home. They used to, whether consciously or unconsciously, have a budget for eating in restaurants that immediately evaporated. And even though my store and the meat counter that I work in are extremely expensive, it is still less expensive than eating in restaurants. So like watching a, a whole watching everyone um, embrace home cooking. And there's a whole learning aspect to that uh, and getting to help them, you know, like one of the nice things about being behind the counter is you represent some expertise. So people are asking you all day long how to cook, um, which I don't have a problem explaining to people. I really enjoy it. Um, Just the Preparing different and higher quality foods for yourself at home, I think there's awareness has been raised about this in the last year. Let's put it that way. Um, and the aspect of it that I do, the value added part of meat and seafood, a lot of people are interested in it. You know, like it's um, it's a it's growing part of the it's a growing part of the business. And again, kind of like you know, takeout food and stuff. I think it's just a things like this will be a growing part of the way we eat. So, oh, so getting to do development there has been cool. You know, uh, Mike and Zupans wants to uh, try and grow this area and I'm getting to help him do that. You know, there's um, a lot of different facets to it, taking products that we make in the meat department and cross-marketing them over in the deli. So, you know, we make sausages, we make great sausages. They should be in both sides of the store. You should be able to buy one hot and ready to go or one to cook for yourself and take home. This kind of thing. Were you, did you have any uh, influence over the Friday lobster rolls? Was that? No, I had nothing to do with that. That's been very successful. Much more than I, much more than I expected. I'm constantly impressed by my coworkers. Like they'll do stuff where I think like, huh, I don't really see how that's going to work. And they totally pull it off. Like over and over again. It's really great. But no, I had nothing to do with that. I have eaten one. <laughs> but, and, and I can't, I imagine they don't just give them to you every Friday that you, you, they definitely don't. <laughs> I get a discount. And what happened? They did. They gave us all as a gift one day, a card that you could redeem for one sandwich. Um, they do an incredible job of uh, incentivizing the team. Like Mike and all of the managers are extraordinarily good at that. Um, And so the savvy people realized that it would not be frowned upon to redeem the card for a lobster roll. (laughs) Well, well, I would imagine that almost everybody wanted to. Um, So, and they're good. 
I I I made the drive in from the coast to grab one. Really? Yeah. Well, I always try to gang up something else. I don't. I wouldn't go in just for that. But that was probably you know sometimes it takes something like that to say okay that's when I'm going in and now I got to set this appointment and do this yeah. and that's what mm-hmm. I do. So um, it's great. So um, reflecting on. Reflecting on the last year, you know, you have a lot of friends in the Portland food world. You sure. know, I, I think back uh, when I met you back in what 2000, early 2011. I know the timeline because it was an event we did. I did at Lincoln, and, okay. and you came in and did a little talk. Remember when Nike was there? They took over the whole restaurant. And you were trying to speak over that party. Um, but you know a lot of people, and a lot of a lot of people are now gone, and yeah. a lot of people are. We don't know where they're going to be. We're waiting to hear what's happening with a lot of people. What's your what? How do you feel about um, you know those of us who are consumers? Yeah. And of course, I know people. I consider myself sort of in the business. But those of us on the consumers are hurt because our restaurants are closed and we might have gotten to know a chef or some of the, the, the front of the house staff or, um, and we're sad about that. But how do you feel about what's happened to your brothers and sisters in the industry? Reasonable question. Um, I mean, there's definitely... It's been interesting to me to see who I've been keeping tabs on. I see a decent, I mean, I'm not super social, um, but I've gone out of my way this last year to try and keep up with certain folks. You know, I'll find myself uh, with some regularity, just taking a drive and dropping in on people who are still trying to make it happen. uh, Meet up for coffee dates, stuff like that. So, I mean, it, Before the before the COVID pandemic, do you um do you remember the uh, really good Gabriella Hamilton essay in the New York Times a couple of years ago about how uh, about how basically about how the small independent restaurant that uh, was many of our inspirations for getting into the biz um, is doomed. Yeah, I may remember it. I've probably read so many like that in over the last year that it gets lost in the sauce. Maybe it was post-pandemic. In any case, um, I don't know. I think that there's a. So I'm interested in the future of food and feeding people. Well, it's what I'm good at and want to be doing with my life and my work. So that just is what it is. Like we're all, you know, food's everyone's favorite thing to eat. Like and I'll be there. But small independent restaurants, um, which I adore, and most of the people that I really like that do the kind of work that I do, that's why they do it. They, there's something essential to the experience of restaurants that, you know, just well, that captivates them. Uh, and it's more than just cooking. It's the restaurants are a whole experience. Um, and so, I don't know, I felt bad for us for a long time. Running a small independent restaurant um, seems like a, 
it's been a, a tough fight to win for longer than there's been a global pandemic. I really don't know with restaurants what it's going to look like in a year or whatever. I mean, there's, you know, there's the whole question of, okay, restaurants, but, could be, but there's everything else in life too. Like, and I'm not the only person asking this question, you know, are things going to go back to the way they were, et cetera? Uh, and, you know, do you want them to? And um, I'm really curious to see what changes just kind of in general in, you know, society and stuff uh, as a result of this long pause. But I guess this is my way of avoiding saying that, I don't know. I don't know if I miss restaurants. Like, I, I don't know if I think it's a bad thing. I don't think restaurants are going in a good direction. Hey, Chris, let's pause just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, and that would be Ringside Steakhouse. Right now, you can enjoy it again, and I understand you went Sunday night, Court. I did, and you know what's interesting is, you know, I know I know, we live in Blazer Nation. I, I'm a, a Trailblazers fan when they're not playing the Utah Jazz, Chris. And as I was sitting there in, in the uh, dining room with my family, I looked up on the wall and what did I see? None other than Utah Jazz's Carl Malone, the second most highest scoring NBA player of all time, wrote a little note. And I'm sure this goes back a few years, but Carl uh, Malone saying this is the best prime rib in Portland. Speaking of that. That's cool that you saw that. Yeah. But you can get their, their uh, prime rib for takeout on Wednesday night, which is great. Um, it's a good deal. So just go to their website and pop that in and pick it up and enjoy that at home. Yeah, you can't really beat it. It's their three-course prime rib dinner every Wednesday night. And you can either go pick it up, but they're also uh, uh, making it available to go via DoorDash. So that's another way to have it delivered to your house. That is that that's good for those people in Portland. That would be great. Yep. Also, another place to go is just go to ringside uh, steakhouse.com or to open table to uh, make a reservation inside or outside at ringside. It's nice to finally get out, not only be able to dine outside, but be able to dine inside if you so please um, at ringside. Yeah, and I know we've talked about this a lot, Chris. Nothing is better than the service that you get at Ringside Steakhouse. They they take care of you, and that was the case for me and my family Sunday night when we were there. But as you pointed out, Chris, the weather is turning. It's spring in the Pacific Northwest, and it's beautiful outside, so why not enjoy a little bit of outdoor dining? And you hit the nail on the head. You know, we've all missed our restaurants. We've missed certain things about them, but uh, you know, we've and many of us have enjoyed takeout food. But what I miss is service. And there is no better place uh, for service than Ringside Steakhouse. So to get back into the swing of dining out, I think Ringside is uh, not only a great start, but a great idea. That's right. And as you mentioned earlier, Open Table can get you reservations or just head on over to ringsidesteakhouse.com. Are you speaking now from a restaurant operator's point of view or a diner's point of view when you say that? Oh, that's a, oh, that's a reasonable question. Um, 
I don't know. As a diner, restaurants were still exciting a year and a half ago. There's kind of too many all the time. It was kind of hard to keep track of, I think. I always said but, that. I always thought there were there was, you know, I there were a lot of people I really liked and respected and wanted to see them do well. But on the other hand, I always felt like we don't need more necessarily. <laughs> we just don't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, so I opened Biwa in 2007. And, like, around that time, a decent number of restaurants opened up. It had, and I've worked in restaurants in Portland for 25 years. Um, and there had never been a big flush of openings like there was then. And I've always basically assumed that it was because um, home equity pretty much led, you know, it, that was the thing that made it possible for regular people to, you know, invest the, at that time, quarter of a million dollars or whatever it took to get a, you know, a small scrappy restaurant open. Uh, the way the real estate values changed in Portland, if you had, had the foresight to have purchased a home at any point over the years, there was a period of time when you could access enough money to open up a small independent restaurant. Maybe that's why it kept working that way. I, I don't know. I, I, I was only a first time restaurant owner opener once, you know, but I mean, is everything that happened over the years interesting? No, um, but plenty of interesting things. Things so much changed in restaurants in the time since I have been doing them. Like I think Instagram uh, was a real shitty thing to have happen to cuisine. Um, for example, frankly, I think the internet was a terrible thing to have had happen to cuisine. It used to be that if you liked cuisine and wanted to make it your work or have it be a passion or a hobby, you had to put in a lot of work. Like you had to buy cookbooks, read magazines. There was a couple of television shows. You had to actually go to New York and eat in the restaurants. You didn't get to just see pictures of what the food, you know, food at some point became so much more about like what it looks like on the plate and making food look like on a, look nice on a plate is one of my more favorite aspects of, of cuisine and cooking. But, um, I think cooking went to kind of a dark place for a little while too. It got kind of annoying um, and kind of rat racy. How, how did it get annoying? Oh, I'm thinking specifically about responding to really like an Instagramization of um, in at least, you know, uh, full service restaurants, food having a look. Uh, and it being an easy thing to achieve and kind of taking some of the, some of the old craft of the warmth of making someone feel great being in a restaurant out of the equation. I mean, there's plenty of restaurants that I love in town where you can have a totally bad experience and I don't fault them for that. I think it, it just is, it is what it is. I think it's part of their charm, but even that it's like an experience that has, I don't know, authenticity and I don't feel like I'm really going anywhere with this though. Um, well, no, but you know, things, you're, you're talking about 
what had happened from 2007 on, and now we just hit 2020. Um, so yeah. the whole thing's going to change. It was like there were quite a few people saying we have too many restaurants, and yeah. now that's I don't think any, many people are going to be saying that in 2023 yeah. necessarily. I mean, who knows? I have no idea what's around the corner, but. I guess I feel like restaurants uh, started to, there's a, I don't know, a magic and individual character to restaurants that, um, and this doesn't mean that places didn't continue to open that had magic and an individual character, but mm. I guess I feel like they just, um, I don't know, just started to feel more contrived. Well, I think that there, that probably happened because there were so many. But I still think one of the things that made Portland special, at least when I moved here in 2005, that was very different than experiences I'd had elsewhere in the country and especially in Connecticut, yeah. was that personal connection yeah. um, that you had with the people, not only the chef, owner, but, you know, the front of the house. You'd see some of the same. The interesting thing about Portland is you would see some of the same people who'd been at the restaurant for a while, but then you'd you'd go to another place because it was kind of like the Disneyland of food here in Portland. And you go to another place and you see that same server there a week later. Oh, well, I worked either both places or I just left there and came here. So at any rate, I think there was a lot of that. Um, you know, it, every place had its own personality, but when everybody's opening up and looking for their hook and it's covered in the same media. Yep. And you don't have food dudes out there doing really extensive reviews, right? The reviews, I think this comes around to what you were talking about. The reviews become Instagram reviews, just one shot. Here's what it is. And and judgment based on a picture rather than descriptions and 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 good writing. There, that's not to say that there hasn't there isn't some good writing, but surely not as much as noise. There became a lot more noise. Yeah, yeah. Um. And part of that has to do with Instagram, as you said. But on the other hand, I'll say this. That because of Instagram, and I used to say this about Yelp, too, when we had a lot of uh, restaurant owners complaining about Yelp. Well, before the days of Yelp, you might have to buy an ad in Portland Monthly for $2,000 or, or some other publications. Yeah. But because of Yelp and Instagram, some of those budgets weren't as necessary. You just need to spend time on those things. Yep. It's true. Um yeah, I mean, there was a period of time when, like, uh, when when every publication put out their restaurant guide, that was actually like a useful and valuable and meaningful tool. I mean, well, or you know, if you could get a second review for your place, or if you could open a place and get everyone to review it, like, and you did things to attract the attention to, to I mean, you you couldn't get the attention now or at a certain point you stop not now now but like you know now a couple of years ago um you know you stopped being able to get the attention because there was so much competition um and traditional food media evaporated uh yeah i know i don't know things changed I, and don't get me wrong i have nothing against instagram i keep an 
an active one myself that I use as kind of a personal diary of what I'm up to. And I don't follow a ton of chefs and food stuff. I, but I mean, people that I'm really interested in, I do. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's wonderful seeing once every week or two, what Elaine Passard's doing stuff, you know, like way into it. So I, there's something that, that dawned on me this morning. Um, and one of the things we just, just, you just touched on was how things have changed in restaurants and how people think of them and in the, the workplace. And did you, I don't think we talked about this last time we were on. Did you ever hear, when you opened Biwa, was there any uh, conversation about cultural appropriation when you opened Biwa? No. Yeah. And so how many, did you ever, did you did you hear about it in Orineco when later on in Giraffe? You know, so I was thinking about this the other day. No, I somehow kind of, um, well, it's funny you have to be so careful about all this stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> well, I kind of, I, I like to stay away from certain things too, but it's an interesting idea for me. You were there for a long time and it never, I don't think it came up. I don't remember seeing you mentioned. I'll say about this, uh, Keena and I talked about this a few, when it was, there was a, a point at which this was um, really like, uh, actively very part of the convert the greater conversation. Uh, I remember talking to Kina and I about it and we had sort of shared feelings. Um, yeah. I mean, to answer your question, no, it's something that for whatever reason, I um, it, it just had never really come up. I'm personally of the feeling that like, you go out into the world, if you are, you know, like if you're so inclined and so motivated, you go out into the world and you learn things. And when you learn that stuff, it's, it's yours, it's your knowledge, it's your information. And all the different things that you learn and experience um, kind of make you the person that you are. And, you know, like, I don't know, I put a lot of, I've put a lot of work into learning about food over the years. Like I ended up opening Japanese restaurants because I had experience in Japan and the Isekaya format was very appealing to me. It's a really nice creative format and I would do it again and not necessarily even feel like I had to consider it a quote unquote Japanese restaurant as much as I just like, there's something about the, something about the format resonates well with me. It's a, the vocabulary that I enjoy cooking within. I never considered Biwa or Noroneko to be like Japanese food museums. You know, there's never any pretense that we were, you know, an authentic restaurant of whatever that means or anything like that. Um, I also don't really believe that intellectual property has a whole lot of... I'm not that interested in intellectual property as a concept in general, but particularly in food, it just, I don't know. It, 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 I don't think that way. Um, not that, not that cultural assets and intellectual property are quite exactly the same thing, but yeah, no, I, 
for whatever reason, Biwa and Noraneko were, and I, I think they also had enough individual character. I mean, they were particular places. They were, I think, more than just um, a ramen shop or something like that. Like we, they were imbued with character. Um, and I, for the most part, I think people took them for what they were. Um, yeah, no, I, I was able to avoid a lot of that, thankfully. Do you think you, do you think if you were still open this summer, you might have dealt with a little of that? Or was, is, was that still, is that still part of the conversation now? I mean, I understand all the things that have happened in our society in the last year, but I mean, I don't know, you know, I haven't been for the last year. I haven't been paying very much attention to restaurants. I mean, I, The only reason I ask it, Gabe, and yeah, it's really, I guess anybody could argue with me, or you, you or me, or so whether it's part of the conversation now, but having, uh, you know, watched what went on on Instagram last year, the 86 list, and yeah. there was so much that was kind of necessary, it was sort of taken for granted before that all of a sudden was brought to the forefront last year. And you don't hear as much of it now. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to judge on why we hear less now and more then. But, uh, I, you know, I think that was part of the same, you know, coming from the same place when we started hearing about cultural appropriation. And there was, you know, some, some people who wanted action on it, just like people wanted action last year on other issues or related issues. So I'm just... Curious about that, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot. If you're uncomfortable with any of this, we don't have to discuss it. It's heartening. To see, it's heartening to see change, and sometimes change happens quickly and abruptly, and sometimes change happens way too slowly. And it's heartening to see change. You know, all I mean when when I say that, I'm thinking about many of the things that have changed and specifically the restaurant is in the time that I've been part of it. Um, you know, like at the grocery store, I work now in a much kinder, gentler environment uh, than any restaurant. There's just, um, I don't know, there's just, there's just things that are still fairly commonplace management tactics in a restaurant that simply do not happen in the grocery store. It's, it's impossible. It's not, it's not part of the vocabulary. It's interesting, and I reflect on this sometimes. But I was talking to um, my psychiatrist about this the other day. I mean, I learned how to do things running a restaurant that I don't do anymore, and I'm glad that they're not part of my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what came up was um, I have to, I'm sort of now, I have some responsibility for getting other people to do what I want, which I got to take a year off from. Uh, and, and it's fine. I, I know how to do that. Uh, I got a little bit of pushback about something the other day and it just made me remember how much energy I used to have to put into making people do what I want and s skills for better or worse that I learned to, uh, uh, make that happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's what I've got. I'm going to trail off on that thought. No, it, it, uh, I find it interesting, and I, I have to imagine, you know, kind of coming full circle where we started. Yeah. 
it's got to be a relief that you don't have to use all, because not only did you, you know, is one of the responsibilities you have as a restaurant owner getting people to do what you want them to do. It's the frustration of hoping that they're going to do what you want them to do and then seeing that they don't and starting all over again. Oh, I would imagine. With that frustration comes excitement. Um, I mean, it's one of the wonderful things about food is it's time-based art form and, uh, the excitement of not necess- uh, the excitement of pulling off the show live and in real time um, is definitely part of the equation. I mean, I you know I I gained some great skills. I'm uh, I have no problem telling somebody in the convenience store to put their fucking mask on. This kind of thing, you know, like I'm glad I'm able to do that. Are those the are, is, are those the words that you use in the convenience store too? Was the other day? Was it? It was the other day, but um, no. I'm generally speaking, you know, pretty. I'm pretty easy. I would, <laughs> we've all want. We've all wanted to say this pandemic. We're all the. It's everything's a little elevated, and we've all wanted to say that or other forms of things. You know, get the fuck out of here. At the, you know, at the restaurants, I didn't actually deal with customers that that much. I mean, I would in the sense that I'd be in the restaurant, but I mean, I, I'm a terrible waiter. Um, but I do customer service all of the time now. I find I really enjoy it. Um, getting to perform the act of being friendly is totally appealing to me, you know. Is so that's an act? For, it's not an act. Come on, you're a nice guy. Not an act like a put-on. Uh, right. Perform the oh, the act the right yeah no not a put on right no I love okay, it well I'm glad we cleared that up because I didn't wouldn't want anybody to think that's what it was that you were doing I'm a genuinely nice person I promise <laughs> well I think so I've always thought so so is there um, I don't know if this is a, a trivial question or not but you know you developed your menus from your heart. Right, so at your restaurants, and you really cared about each dish. Is there something that, and you may just be making it at home, but is there something at your restaurants that you wish that not only you could have more, but that you miss serving out of love to other people and touching them? Sure, sure. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the Noroneco fried chicken. Um, I've That's made- mine. I've made it a couple of times in the last year. It is not nearly as good when I've made it as it was even on a bad day at the restaurant. And I'm not sure why. I also haven't thought about that hard about why. But I love the Norneco fried chicken, and I miss it. Uh, well, see, that's what you could do across from that, in that restaurant that you're thinking about in your little tea, is you go right up against Real Amin. You put a sign out there and just say, uh, you'll have it done a little faster. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, I, I'm totally familiar with the real Amin fried chicken, but I've never had it. And I've, I don't even think I've ever been in that bar. And that's a, like I used to live close to there. That's a very familiar neighborhood to me. But for whatever reason, the real Amin fried chicken is not something that it's not something I ever experienced. Yeah, I don't want to own a fried chicken restaurant. That sounds terrible. <laughs> and, and so, uh, well, so if you lived in that area... And we were talking about Little T. Are you missing Pac Pac and Andy and all his, just the concept that he's not around any longer? 
Andy Ricker was yeah. speaking about. Um, I mean, Andy's living in Thailand now, and as far as I can tell, he's probably pretty happy. So I don't feel that bad for Andy per se. And, you know, he and I are close colleagues. He's definitely over the years, uh, we, you know, talk shop a lot and stuff. And he's someone who's, I really, I have a lot of admiration for it. And I like his restaurants. I lived for a pretty long time, kind of close to the, the, the McCann of Zupans, kind of close to Lewis and Clark. And he was, he had a little shop on Barber at night across the street from the safe. The old Humdinger. At the old Humdinger. Right. I used to go there all the time. That's probably, I've been, I've eaten that Pock Pock much more than any other Pock Pock. Um, well, that's interesting because I wasn't open that long compared to the others. But, <laughs> and you know, I know, and I, I don't know, but I assume Andy's very happy. I mean, he's got a life over there and had one before he closed down his restaurants. I just kind of feel bad that the institutions like that, that the, you know, Andy, the, that the decisions had to be made and it affects more than Andy. It was, you know, his whole, all his employees too. I, I think more than anything else about, you know, the, the restaurant industry in Portland, the way it used to be was, a major driver of the Portland tourism arm. Uh, it, I think, had a lot more, it had an outsized impact on the reputation of our city that extends into things like why people would want to move here and move their businesses here um, outside of the restaurant biz. And as a huge employer, um, the economics of it, I think, were, didn't flow super smooth all of the time, you know, because it's become more expensive to live here. Uh, it's become more expensive to operate restaurants. It's um, the, the sweet spot of being able to afford to live in Portland and experience it, but have a service job as your primary income. Um, I experienced challenges over the years. Um, so, I'm not 100% sure what all of the people that used to work in restaurants are going to do when they have to go back to work. I mean, I'm, I, I assume that a lot of people, I mean, most of the people that used to work for me ultimately have taken a year off on unemployment. You know, I know some folks that have gone back to work, but it's hard to argue with getting $1,000 a week to not go to work. Um, mm-hmm. If there isn't a huge surge of replacement jobs, which I don't think there will be, I don't think there's going to be full service sit down dining in the quantity that there used to be for a while, you know, for a variety of reasons, whether it's people still being nervous about being in public, people having learned that you can save a lot of money and eat pretty well eating at home because that's what they've been doing for the last year. Like, I think a lot of factors are going to, I don't know what the changes are going to be, but they're going to, you know, affect change on um, restaurant economics. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know what all of those, what's going to replace those jobs. Cause it was a lot of jobs. Right. And many of them paid reasonably well, you know, like, 
you could afford to live in your own apartment or have a kid or take vacations and stuff as a waiter in a Portland restaurant. Not as a cook, though, generally speaking. Generally speaking, that's true. So, and that's where things are probably going to have to change. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what shakes out. I have to say, for someone who's been up since 2 a.m. I took uh, an hour or two nap, but yes. Oh. Okay, well, you got an hour or two nap. But I have to say, you've been, you've been uh, very articulate for someone who uh, has been up as long as you have, and I really appreciate it. I don't know if there's anything you particularly felt like you wanted to cover in our conversation. If we missed something, no, no, but it's been really nice to talk. And, you know, like it's been interesting for me this last year. It's not that I've stopped working with or thinking about food, but I've kind of stopped working with and thinking about restaurants and like getting to revisit some of this stuff is, um, I don't know, it's thought provoking. It's nice for me. Like I have some stuff to chew on after our talk. Oh, good. Well, maybe we could do like the uh, Bill Maher, you know, the, uh, the post, YouTube uh, session. If you come up with anything great and you want to impart it, we could we could add add it to it as well. So um, if I do, I'll send you an email. Pardon me. Okay. Yeah, or or we could talk over the meat case at okay. Zupans. Always okay. happy to do that. Okay, but I leave early, so you have to come in before lunchtime, and I'm there on uh, guaranteed on Fridays and Saturdays. Okay, so people, and if anybody, I know there are people listening to this podcast who probably didn't know you were at Zupan, so maybe you'll have a few old friends visit you uh, on weekends to come say hello. Okay. But it's funny. But I'll definitely be. I'll leave you with one thing. Uh, so at the grocery store, I had wondered about this because I've lived in town for a long time and you get to know a lot of people being in the restaurant business. And, you know, everybody goes to the grocery store. Not everybody goes to the Zupan's grocery store that I work in. But I am, and we all wear masks now. I'm terrible with names and faces. <laughs> I don't help with that. So I've, um, I wear a name badge that says Gabriel, so that at least if someone says my name, I can tell if it's someone who knows me or if they're just reading my name badge. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah, and but... You're right. It is for, I'm terrible with names, and I started about, four or five years ago, having done events, realizing I wasn't even good with faces anymore in my life. And that's a scary thing, but I've come to grips with it. And I do certain things to try to get around that. But masks sure as hell don't help that at all. It was tough enough when you had a full face. Yeah. But now also, we don't have to pretend as much. I think there's just there's been a lot of things in the last year that like, I don't know. How many people do you think decided like, you know what, we're just going to actually skip Christmas, which would have been unthinkable a year ago. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of people that wanted to just skip that. I just heard about it um, from, <laughs> from my son this last week who we celebrated his birthday earlier in the month and, you know, had, and then he came out and wasn't really crazy about having to travel to do another birthday, you know, right after that. So but he's been saying that for years. But yes, uh, it, it has caused us to th rethink a lot of the things and what, what we may miss or we don't miss. I really miss sitting across from people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love my girlfriend. It's great. And the very some family members. But I miss sitting across from people I don't know that well and getting to know them. Yeah. I miss people's faces. I miss facial expression. Um, mm hmm I definitely realized how much I rely on facial expression as a form of communication. 
And the other thing that I really miss um, is going out and being able to order a little more right then and there. Like sushi is one example. We went to Yama last week and just being able to sit down and go, hey, you know what? Another, that's really good. How about another one of those? You can't do that when you're ordering everything in advance. Yep. So yeah, really different experience. Yeah. So hopefully we'll all get back to that. And I'm tell you, it's a pleasure to um, to find out you were at Zupans. It took me too long. So we weren't passing on the right days and the right hours because I'm, I'm there fairly, not well, not as much in the last year as I had been before that, but I get there as often as I can. And by the way, so one of the things I miss out here, you don't see it in restaurants, but man, I just love the sword, being able to get swordfish at Zupans and it's really good. Where is that sourced from? Uh, you don't know. Well, I mean, I, could, I know who we buy it from. They no, fish. but where does it come from? Where where was that fish swimming? Out in the Pacific. That's Pacific swordfish. Okay. But we don't get much of it. I don't see it on menus. So that's why I wondered if it was even out here. It's expensive, I think, is probably why. Ocean yeah. products, high quality ocean products are expensive. Yeah, but we certainly, there's no dearth of halibut and salmon that we can we, order. Well, we could have a whole other conversation about... Um, we have a whole other conversation about this. It's, it's fascinating. Um, I mean, it's really nice that Zupan's going to work with such high quality products because um, nobody else gets to. They're extremely expensive and are, we have people who will buy them. But um, man, people have crazy ideas about fish. We could have a whole podcast just about old people and their ideas about fish. Uh, let's do it. So let's uh let's do it let's you and i just get together casually for a 15 minute talk and we'll use that on the weeks that we usually run a repeat instead we'll do a little talk with you about old people and fish without you know we have to do it out with respect to zoo pins too we don't want to piss anybody off yeah. and I, by that I, I i think you know eleanor and mike would be great but you don't want to piss any Zupan's customers off. So no. we have to be careful about that. So no, although the people I'm thinking about, I don't think they know what podcasts are. So we might have that going for us. That's true. That, that, that's true. But um, that'll be interesting. But, you know, speaking of the swordfish that I was, the, was the fish I prepared the most at home when I lived in Connecticut, mm -hmm. I had the fortune of living in the town next door to Jacques Pepin. And his fish market was my fish market. So I'd run into him there. Okay. It, was, it was pretty cool. But in that fish market, which was, which was called Star Fish Market, it was a really beautiful spot. They didn't have a lot of beautiful food places where I lived, but Star Fish Market was one of them. And they started doing value-added things as well. But they also, they, they had two uh, varieties of swordfish, net caught and harpooned. So we always bought the harpoon swordfish because, of course, it wasn't foiling around in nets, getting less tender yeah. uh, along the way. So I remember that fairly well and with, with fondness. So when I can get swordfish, it's one of those things like uh, lobster rolls and white clam pizzas that reminds me of home. So um, and I enjoy it. So, Well, call down to the store because they don't stock it all the time, but we can get it in. No, I've had it, and I've, I there have been enough opportunities where I've seen it there and uh, picked some up. So, um, 
it's enough for me. I don't have to get it every time I, I stop in, but just so I have it once in a while. And I, and I made some of the stuff you wrapped up the other day. I cubed and I used some, I may as well put a little promotional announcement in for Zupans here. Yeah. Some of their Alfredo sauce, some red peppers and orange peppers and uh, over pasta. And it was really nice. Can you get a white clam pizza here anywhere? Does Tommy do? Oh, man, that's another podcast, too. We should mix the two. Huh. So uh, you can't, well, first of all, you can. Um, Scotty knew that I wanted white clam pizzas, and he brought them into our studio the yeah. way I wanted them made. So you can get them places. Um, I, um, a Pizza Shoals makes them with the shells in them, and I just don't believe that's not an East Coast thing. And I feel like the shells don't belong on a pie. Nothing against Brian; I love what they do there, but that's not my favorite way of having it. Um, but you know who's doing it now because he's from Connecticut is Tommy at yeah. at, um, at Pizza Jerk. So he's got a clam jam, which is uh, which is I'm not going to say it's the best white clam pizza I've ever had, but it. It fulfills my Jones for a clam pizza here and there. I'm fortunate enough where I know that uh, Billy at Modern Pizza, and he he will ship them to me once in a while. So I, I have them in my freezer, ready to go. They're not as good though as having it there. Cool. Okay. Let's go grab it. Let's go grab a um, a clam jam sometime. Sounds good. All right, that would be my pleasure, and on me. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 